We begin our, or continue our series on escaping escapism. And last week we talked about uh, how we don't want to be uncomfortably numb like so many in our culture are. That uh, we tend to want to just get away from reality and we escape into things like obviously our cell phones or could be other things. Could really be anything. Really, and we talked about escapism is just avoiding reality through distractions. So it could be anything. Really, whatever uh, is, is drawing us out of being able to live the life that God has called us. And so last we talked about uh, some of those principles that really kind of draw us how to escape escapism. Uh, and, uh, and we want to ha- live uh, uh, towards what God has for us, keeping our eyes focused on Jesus and make sure that we're embracing the things he has for us. And really the rest of the series then is how to escape escapism is really by living purposefully. To recognize that it's not just the time that we have, that we have to make sure we manage it well and that we're using it for, to, to do what God wants, but to also live our lives for the things that God wants us and calls us to live for. And that's really what we'll be talking about the rest of the series. And there are several things in Scripture that God actually calls us to engage in, to live for. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, family. And uh, we'll be talking about friends and community and church and other things as well as we get through this. And, and I'll recognize that uh, some of this today I'm going to be, uh, I talk about, it, it may find it very um, painful or offensive. And, and I hear that because it's what God calls us to live for is very different than what our culture has told us we ought to live for. And because we have not lived according to what God has called us to, there is a lot of brokenness and in this world. And, and so as we recognize that uh, a lot of the things that we suffer in, uh, in, in our day-to-day life, some of these things that God calls us to live for, like family, is one thing that most people in our culture today really want to escape from because there's a lot of pain there, because we're not living the ideal. But let me encourage you in this, that God is not condemning us because we're not in the ideal. There is an ideal that we can live towards, and we're going to find healing and purpose as we move towards that that how can we begin to do this how can we live towards those things if we don't even know what they are and so uh, with an open heart but also with anticipation for healing which i believe god has for us especially the church uh, we're going to go into to this about how do we live for god's purposes even in family and as we do that remember our, our our anchor verse for this for the whole series comes from last week That reminder that says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And I'm encouraging all of us to memorize that throughout this series, to meditate on it, to think about it. That's why in your connection card, there's even that perforated memory verse card that's right there for you. But what this really says there is to be very careful then how we live. And, And so we have to really be thoughtful about how we are spending our lives and there is a wise way to live that leads to good things. And there is an unwise way to live that leads to destruction. And it says even in the days that we live in our evil, that, that this world is going to draw us to the unwise way of living. And, and guess what? Contextually, right after we have this teaching about how to live wise and not unwise, well, we get to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, because we ended in verse 20 last week. And what does it talk about? family. The most important thing, the first thing that scripture teaches us how to live wise and not unwise gives us a picture of how do we live for God's purpose in family. So if you have your Bibles, please turn them to Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 because that's where we're going to be beginning today. And as you get there, I'm going to 
see, uh, we read there, it begins with this. Verse 521 starts with the key. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes on to say, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Well, there's a lot of things to be offended in that, isn't there? I mean, there's something for all of us to hate. Wives, I don't want to submit to that guy. I want to respect this man. Husbands, I don't want to lay my life down for this woman. Parents, ah, you haven't seen my kids, little brats. Kids, I don't want to obey my parents. All of us have something to hate. And really, we recognize that, that our culture revolts against this. Revolts against the whole idea. Just, just almost you get a gag reflex if you read this. In fact, a couple of years ago, I did a series on applying this, and I got, I got put into Facebook prison that they wouldn't let me post or anything for a while because I, had to, I talked about this. This is offensive, dangerous stuff. Or is it? Or is it dangerous to ignore it? Is there a wise way to live that leads to life and joy and, and purpose and an unwise way to live that the world in this, this current age is evil, which is leading us into destruction and the misery in which we currently live within? Maybe we shouldn't be so repelled by these incredible truths. You know, in context, right, it says be very careful how you live, and right away it talks about these things. I think we talk about priorities. Priorities are things that come first, right? What is the most important? That's the uh, priority, the first thing. You know what God's priorities are? One of the biggest priorities we're going to live for, one of God's priorities for humanity is family. It's the first thing he talks about, how we're supposed to live wise. He talks about family. In fact, the very first thing that he tells people, the very first command that God gives humans, well, it has to do with family. In fact, Genesis 1.28, this this says, God bless them. This is Adam and Eve. And he said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that lives and moves along the ground. Those are the first command God gave humanity. And the first thing he gives us command for is to have a family and work. And we're going to talk about work in a little bit, because work is an amazing thing. But family still comes first. 
And so when God made us in his image, Adam and Eve, he made us in the context of family. He made them Adam and Eve, and the two shall become one flesh, right at the very beginning. Family is important enough to God. That's how he reveals himself to us. We call him our heavenly father. Christians in the church, in the Bible, are called brothers and sisters more than anything else. So we're going to talk about work in a couple of weeks, but today we talk about the first priority. The first thing, if we want to escape escapism, to live towards something of value, is to live for God's first priority. For us, we have to look at our families. Now, in our culture, that's difficult because families are so broken uh, that oftentimes we like to escape from them. In fact, I found some interesting and very troubling statistics in there that that we have, like, uh, you know that most people, most parents even now, spend more time on mobile apps than they do talking to their children. That was really scary to me. That if you, if you go to a restaurant, and, and some of you may today, you'll go out after this, and you're going to go sit down. Just look at the number of people sitting at a restaurant paying for a meal that aren't paying attention to each other. That's the whole reason you go to a restaurant is that somebody else can cook and clean. So you can pay attention to the people that you're with and have tasty food. But how often are we just distracted? We don't talk to each other. We're neglecting. How many husbands and wives neglect the relationship that when the kids move away, they don't even know each other? That's why one of the biggest times for divorce is at 25 years. That's after the kids are all gone. Because we haven't invested. We've neglected the family. And really in our culture, it doesn't just, like, that's not just from current families that are there. Like, we have enormous high number of divorces. Do you know there's a divorce in the United States every 30 seconds? Well, I don't think it's like on a clock. They just make you wait, right? But if you add up time and all that, 30 seconds. It's huge. It's not just that our families are falling apart. It's that as a culture, we do not value family. And it began several decades ago. But I want you to show you, like, the marriage rates per 1,000 people per year, this is from the CDC website, by the way, it, it shows that in 1900, there's about 10 marriages, right, for every 1,000 people every year happening, and that's dropping every single year, and we are about six now, almost half, that fewer and fewer Americans recognize even value that we should even get married of any age, but part of this is that a lot of people just don't see the value, especially younger generations, of getting married, and so we're getting married much, much older. Here's another stat from there. It shows in the 1950s, you know, people were in their 20s, 1920, for, for gals to get married, and now we're waiting to almost 30, a 10-year gap. A- and we ask, why are we putting off marriage? Because it's a lower priority now than being stable, being financially f- stable, to be able to enjoy your life, to go have your adventures while you're young. That family is kind of seen as an extra thing, something that maybe holds you back, not something that we should live towards. It's just not as important. And, and we see that even the number of people that are married, Americans by, that are married by the age of 40, usually if you're going to be married, typically it's up by the age of 40. The building de- builder generation, for them, 81% of that generation was married by the age of 40. But now millennials, almost half of that. And it continues this downward trend. Fewer and fewer Americans even see the value of being married at all. That families become something that we escape from, not run to. 
the days truly are evil. And we have to say, well, if we're having smaller families, if people aren't getting married as much, we're not, we're not actually valuing family as something that should be lifted up, as something that, that we should you know, work towards, well, guess what? That first command, be fruitful and multiply, doesn't happen. And we're seeing this happen, that, that we have fewer and fewer kids. This is a staggering chart for us. In the 1800s, the average family had seven kids. Now, most of them probably died young. We get that. But even the baby boomers, right, that little peak of the 1950s, I mean, that's huge. But right now, it's like one, less than two, 1.73 kids per couple, and there are fewer couples even getting married. That's not enough to even maintain our population, by the way. I mean, not by a long shot. We're in trouble as a culture. Like, there's not going to be people to have our, take our jobs, to care for us as we get older. I mean, it's, it's bad news what was happening to us. That we see that, that family and children are seen as a burden, something to run from. Why would we want to have kids? Now, when did this happen? Right? When did this all happen? Well, we, we find that we have this drop kind of all the way through, but, but really the major drop happened in 1960s, 1970s, when there was this thing called the sexual revolution, in which we were told as a culture that family was an archaic institution which was damaging to people, especially women, and that if we would liberate ourselves from this, we would be happier. And the world would be better. And we live in some type of bubble-filled utopia where everyone would just dance around all the time playing flutes. It would be an amazing place if we could just get rid of this horrible, patriarchal, awful system called family and rid ourselves from these little rugrats called children who just eat away all of our energy and money and time. But are we happier? Because we have fewer families and we have fewer children and we are far less married and... There are a lot more opportunities and rights and all these things that 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 sexual revolution and everything promises that we're supposed to have. Are we happier? No. No. Surprisingly, shockingly, no. This is the the life life satisfaction in the United States by a Virginia Slims poll. This was self-reported early 2000. And actually, uh, I found a newer one, but I couldn't just like see if it was actually scientific, but it actually showed after that, and it continues to drop even lower. You get to that zero point, that's where people say, I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied with my life. So before the 1970s, people were mostly satisfied with life. In fact, they were pretty satisfied. Now, I want you to put this in context. In the 1970s, men were a little less happy than women because we were being shipped off to war to die in some foreign field somewhere. And they were still happy right? Women were even happier because they didn't have to go, I guess. I don't know why, but they were even happy. This is before the sexual revolution. This was before the lie that said family doesn't matter. But as we see that we put career above children, we put career above our, our spouses, as we, as we said our homes become a place to escape from and we want to make our lives valuable by giving our lives to a corporation, and we want to give our kids to some other people to raise them because they're exhausting to me, right? Before that happened, when, when we still had this idea, the Christian idea, what we would call a nuclear family, where we actually had a mom and a dad and kids, 
even with all, all of those rights, even without all of the prosperity and all of the money and all of the, the titles behind our name and all the education, we were happy. And what happened? We're not happy. Somewhere in the 1990s, we started to get miserable. And I think it's funny. is I, When I looked at this chart and I did some research on it, <laughs> there were... The, the news outposts, they say, well, look at this happiness gap between men and women. Like, they, like, we are now, everybody is not happy. We are all miserable. But they would say, but now women are more miserable than men, and that's a problem. Because until men are as wis- miserable as women, we don't have equality. <laughs> that's the goal. How about this? How about we get off this crazy train? The days are evil. Culture has lied to us. And you can't deny the reality that all of us experience. There's an uncomfortable numbness that we have in our homes. And God has called us to live with purpose there. In fact, he said this is our highest priority. And and you're going to find value in your home. You're going to find meaning in your home. You're going to find purpose as we begin to live and, and, and prioritize our families. You know what God says about, uh, uh, about children? He says this, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward for him. Do we believe that? You know, uh, um, Gallup came out with a, a, stat, a study last week, so I didn't put it in this message, but it was interesting. And it said this, that, that right now, 67% of women don't believe that their gender is holding them back at work, which is great. In their life, they don't feel held back by their gender. In fact, there's a higher percentage of men that feel held back by their gender because they, uh, if they work in corporate or government or things like this, because of quotas, they haven't been able to have promotions and doors open to them. So equality. So everybody's being held back. Great. But even though most women don't feel held back by their gender, that a majority of women, 51%, feel held back because of their children. Now, if women feel this way, how about the kids feel? Now, we understand this, that there's a culture, we have such a low priority of family that we have children, and we think that that's somehow a curse. But children are a blessing from God. That's why last week we celebrated and, and that we have these children that we dedicated to the Lord. Some, some are in more idealistic families, others not. But every child is valuable and is a blessing from God. And God bless those single parents who come and, and are bringing their children to church and are turning the generation around. Well, I think as a church, we recognize as Christians, we can say that God has a priority for family and children. And they are his, his absolute blessing. If you wonder if God has, 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 has uh, care for you, has God has care for us, has he given us more children? Wonderful, Right? That it's, it's a direct sign, a reward from him. So I'd say that God's greatest blessings for people aren't just for them themselves, but we find that God, as he goes through scripture, his greatest blessings upon people aren't just for their lives, but are generational. That's why we say we are generational, transformational disciple makers. That the greatest blessing that God bestows upon a person isn't just for them, but it's for their heritage. And then it goes all the way back, Deuteronomy 7, it says, this is where the, the people of Israel are getting ready to cross into the promised land, finally, after a 40-year hike, right? They're finally going to get to cross into it. What does God say? First thing, know therefore that it is the Lord 
that is God, uh, he is uh, the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. That his first thing before he sends them into the promised land, said, this isn't just for you. And that God is doing this and he's going to keep his blessing on you. Here's the best part of the blessing for a thousand generations. Now you're not even going to know those great, 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 great grandkids. And they're not going to know you, but God's going to know them and he's still going to bless them. And that's the depth of God's priority for family. They didn't walk around in the wilderness, but they're still going to be blessed because their grandparents did. See, the the best part of the blessing wasn't the milk and honey. It wasn't the land. And I think so many of us, we look for God's blessing just for me, and we fail to see that God has a generational view of things. And so he looks at legacy. God even blesses even in the future. So family itself is a blessing from God. It's not just a priority from God. It is a blessing, and some of you say, but it's a lousy blessing because you didn't see my family. Well, maybe. Or maybe it's that our families have failed to be a blessing because we've failed to bless God with them. We've failed to worship God with them as a, in a culture. That there is so much brokenness even from the outside, even in spite of ourselves and our efforts. But it doesn't mean that family can't be and is not designed by God to be a blessing for us and to the world and to the future. Earlier than this, Deuteronomy 6, it says, and this is where God begins that discussion of his people before they go into the land. He says, these are the commands and decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing uh, the Jordan to possess, right? So if you're going to live in this land, here are the rules. I want to bless you, but you have to live my way. You have to have my priorities, live for my purposes, right? And so he's going to give them to him. That's the book of Deuteronomy, right? But then he says, so that, here's the reason why you're supposed to do that. Your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God. And as long as you live by keeping his, all his decrees and commands, so that, I give you, so that you may live and enjoy a long life. Now, you see, there's a benefit to it. He tells the people, you're going to cross this land. There's going to be blessing on the other side. There's land of milk and honey, right? It's going to be a great place, right? You're going to have all these things. But I want you to keep my decrees for your kids and grandkids so that they may be blessed too. Do you see how this tells us? I'm not, I'm not asking you to live for yourself. God says, I got you. I want you to be faithful because what comes after you matters. Be a blessing, right? And then he tells them at, right after this verse, he says, so then teach, the, you know, teach your children. Or when you get up in the morning, you go to bed at night, right? To the point that they are just sick of hearing it. All of these things. And then he gets to the Shema, right? The most important command. The hero Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You know, before he even gets to the law, he has the, he puts family first. He has the structure there. Like, faith's not going to happen if you do not have strong family. Do you wonder why the devil hates family so much? It's a priority to God. So, God gives us this idea of family. In Ephesians 5, what does it say? It says, submit to one another the reverence for the Lord, right? And then he tells about how we do that. And he says, you know, husbands, you got to love your wives, you know. Yeah, wives, you got you to gotta honor and support your husband. Obey him, like follow him. Like children, obey your parents. Parents, raise up your children lovingly. Care for them. There are roles and responsibilities that God designed. In fact, there are only two institutions in all of Scripture where God himself structures. He doesn't structure government. He's like, have at it. Figure out how you want to do government. Good luck, right? Business. 
Structure your business, your finance, however you want. How about your economy? Do that however you want to do. Clubs, organizations, God doesn't have a, a say. He doesn't say, I don't care. Set it up however you want. But family and church, two things. So this is how it's structured, and both of those were designed to reflect him and his character. And so there are certain roles and responsibilities in both, and they're holy. And because I think they're also, they, they don't just represent him, but they're very important. They're part of our very identity. So uh, this is not a sermon that's going to tell you those roles and responsibilities. I have some other great sermons that have to do that. You can listen to them, right? There's a lot of great books, but here's a great one. How about Ephesians chapter 5? Why don't you read that? Go through it today. It'll talk about what you're supposed to do. But instead of that, let's just talk about how we prioritize family. How do we, in the midst of our broken culture, in which everything around us for decades has told us that family doesn't matter, kids are a problem, our spouses are there just to annoy us, there is a battle between the sexes, which is a demonic thing, by the way. There is no war or battle of the sexes. That, doesn't, that is not from God, right? But we've been told this. How do we, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our, the, the not perfect world in which we live, and how do we prioritize family? Well, you know what? The Romans didn't have it all that perfect either. They had all kind of messed up families too. People in this world that even received this first instruction, how do they prioritize family? Well, the key is Ephesians 5.21. The first one is to submit. Well, that's an ugly word. I don't want to submit, but I need to. See, submission is the antithesis of pride. Submission is I'm surrendering my way for that of another. See, the problem with most things that the devil gets us here is he says it's about you. That your family is all about you, you're, everything must be about you, and you've got to take care of you, and it's about your happiness. Submission is the exact opposite. That's why it's so offensive to us. And if I'm a submitting to another, they're probably as, as evil as I am, so why should I submit to their will? Well, the first thing is because I can't be prideful. That was the sin of, of Garden of Eden, right? The, the poison there. Satan said, you should eat this fruit because God knows if you're going to have it, then you're going to be like him. You're not going to need him. You're going to be able to choose whatever you want to do is right and wrong. It's about you, what you can get about yourself. Self-focused people become self-centered people. Self-centered people are self-worshipping people. Self-worshipping people have their lives fall apart, and they're annoying to be around. We don't want to be prideful. Pride is what destroys us. It's the cure to selfishness, is submission. It's laying down my wants and my desires for that of somebody else. And that seems so opposite of what we were taught from the very beginning. It seems so opposite what our heart tells us that we should want. But it is the key to purpose-filled life and to freedom and to joy and to contentment. And if you don't trust me, look at the stats. Are people happier becoming more selfish? Is pursuing my career, my joys, my wants above that of my family, has that been helping? Is that making us happier? Here's a great thing. Maybe as we learn to die to ourselves, we can find real living. See, selfish people are unfulfilled and unhappy. They always are. Because we were never meant to worship ourselves. There, there's a place we were meant to worship something much greater than us. And so we find that selfish people are unhappy, but selfish societies, look at our society. Is it becoming more prosperous? When, when societies become very, very selfish, it's about me, and I, I get only what I want, and I don't care about you or others, is that a place that you want to live? 
I mean, right now, if you go to like uh, some of the major cities, which I think are really, really self-centered, and the people all have their entitlements, and this is what I get, and this is what it's about me, and all that, you're going to get robbed or mugged, and no one's going to help you because it, they might get put in jail if they step in, right? That they might get hurt if they try to help you. We have become so selfish that it's not safe any longer. And if I remember, a couple of weeks ago, we went through the Sermon on the Mount, God's kingdom was not filled by selfish people, but by those who treated others the way that they themselves would like to be treated. That's a pretty much a better society to be a part of. Submit to one another starts with submit. See, families are designed to make us less selfish. So how do husbands, we submit to our wives because we lay down our lives for them. So we do. I make sure in my home, now I'm not perfect at this, but I'm pretty good. But if I'm going to make a decision, it's going to be for Amy and Thomas's good, above my own. Like, like, I get the benefit of that oftentimes, but I don't make decisions that it's just going to be for Aaron. If I make a decision for our family, it's always for her good. It always is to lift her up. That's what it says, that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And this is the way that I'm supposed to love my wife. So if I'm going to lead her, it's only for her benefit. If I'm going to lead my son, it's only for his benefit. I'm not going to exasperate my son, but to do what draws him up, not crushes him. That's submitting because there are times, and I'll tell you this, especially with a kid like Tom, man, there are times that if I want to be selfish, I just want to be like, be quiet and go to your room, right? That's what I'd want to do. I'd want to, to dominate his will with mine. That's what I'd want to do. But that's not submitting. I'm finding what he needs and drawing him up. Or with my wife. Yeah, she's pretty easy. But not every gal is. I get that, but I'm blessed. But laying my life down for them, that's what it means for wives to follow your husband. Don't, don't grab the steering wheel away from him. There's only one in the car. You're going to wreck it. Right? Don't make it miserable for him to try to lay his life down for you. Right? Why would you hound him into a point he's like, I would rather drive this truck into a tree and kill both of us because you make me so miserable. Don't, don't do that. Be supportive. Help him. Encourage him. Kids, for crying out loud, your parents are doing the best they can. They are, they are imperfect, as you well know, but they love you, and they want nothing more than your best. So don't fight them again. Listen to them. Talk to them. And parents, treat your kids as, as though they truly are a blessing. Are they expensive? Yes. Are they exhausting? Absolutely. Are they frustrating? Beyond measure. But you can love them, and you can treat them as though they are valuable. And you can see the potential that's in them that they can't even see in themselves. Love one another begins with submission. But we don't just submit we actually submit to people. I thought this was really offensive when I really studied it because I would prefer it to say submit to God because God is perfect. And if I submit to God's will, then at least I know I'm submitting to a God who is perfect and he always has right motives. He's really, God has never, you know, done me a dirty. He's always good. But it says submit to one another and that means the people I live with and I know them. I have to, to choose their good above my own. I have to say that sometimes, very rarely, Amy's desires are probably imperfect. And I'm still going to have to lay myself down for her. 
And I still have to choose her best, even sometimes when she's not acting the best. And she has to submit and lay down her desires and follow me, even though sometimes I'm, I'm boneheaded. And my son still needs to obey what I tell him, even when sometimes I don't have all the information. In the midst of my ignorance, I might tell him something stupid. But we still submit to one another. Why? Why does God tell us this is so important? Because it takes us, again, another step outside of selfishness. I need to love another person where they're at, not where they should be. I have to be so selfless that I love a person even in their brokenness. I don't know, kind of like Jesus did for me. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't wait till you had all of your life together, that you were perfect and you were, everything that you wanted and all your desires were perfect before he came and started a relationship with you? Sometimes it's in the midst of the brokenness where love is truly and most perfectly demonstrated. To submit to one another allows us to love. I mean, real love. Choosing another's good above my own. Loveless people are lonely people. And do you know what we find in the United States right now? That we have a, 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 a pandemic of loneliness. We're going to talk about that in, next week. We talk about friends and why they're so important. But people, Americans, especially men in our culture, are, are dying because of loneliness. Absolutely disconnected and lonely and at a deep level. And loveless societies, societies where no one cares for another person, is not a place you want to be. It's a dangerous society. So we don't just submit to God, but we submit to one another in our families, right? Where at least there's a reason why I would lay my life down for them, right? And remember this, that doesn't say men, lay your life down for every woman. It doesn't say that. Praise God. And what, women? It doesn't say obey every man. It doesn't say that. It says husbands... Lay your life down for your wife. You get to pick that woman. So be wise. And women, there's one man on earth that the scripture tells you you need to submit to. Choose wisely. Kids, you're out of luck. You just get chosen. <laughs> but we submit to one another, right? We love one another. First John says this, and he's given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brothers and sisters. If you don't think that the loving other people is a way that we demonstrate love for God, you're missing the point. The greatest command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The Jesus goes on to say, how you, can't, you can't possibly say you love God unless you love the people around you. So really, loving one another is a way of worshiping God. So the context of this particular passage is the church family, but the principle is that it's the people in our lives. How can we possibly say, really say that I love God, I'm worshiping God, setting my life around Him if I'm nasty to my own children, to my own parents, to my own spouse. We need to love each other, lay our lives down for each other, care for one another. 1 Timothy 3 says this, give proper recognition to all the widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children and grandchildren, these should first learn to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. You see, even in, in Scripture, even in these pastoral epistles, it doesn't say that the church supersedes the family which God has put you into. Some of you into really great families, and some of you into pretty rough families. But there's a priority in family that God has given us. In fact, God cares so much about families. In this, he says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and he's talking right here about the widows, 
and especially those in their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Well, if that's true for widows, how about also husbands and wives and children and parents? Are we providing what we owe them according to Scripture? Are we fulfilling our role that God has given us, not because they're perfect, but because our God has called us to something more important? Have we made our families a priority like God has? Can we love the people that he's put into our lives and care for them? Not when they deserve it, but even when they don't. Now, as we, as we uh, help serve and love one another in our God-given role, that shows that our faith is real. We need to make sure that we also submit to one another for the right reason, and that's reverence. This is the motivation that the Christian does. Not because It's not affection. Not submit to one another out of affection for each other. That's another thing that our culture tells us. Do that because you feel like it. No, no, no. We, our motivation as Christians to put priority in our home is reverence. That means deep respect. It's not just because I want to. It's because of who God is. It's an issue of faith and faithfulness, but it's not just that we submit to one another out of reverence. Our reverence is this is for Christ. The reason I put my family as a priority, the reason I treat my wife the way I do is not because my wife is just an awesome person, and she is. I chose well. The reason that I, 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 I prioritize my son and I, and I continually try to parent him and care for him and, and raise him up and bring him up in good discipline and, and provide for him. The reason I do that is not just because I think he's an awesome guy, and he is. Primarily, the reason that I serve them is because I have a reverence, a deep respect for Christ, just like Pastor Justy was talking about this morning. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We worship him, and I worship him with my family. How I treat them is how I'm treating the Lord. That's what it says. Anyone who does not love their brothers and sisters or take care for their own family members or denied the faith, I want to love my family because I love my God. That's why I do it. To understand that it's, it's an issue of, of respect for the Lord. How I treat the people that God has given me. That my family is a gift and a ministry. Some of your families are more gift than ministry. Some of your families are much more ministry than gift. I get that. But every family is a gift and a ministry. Now let's talk about the big elephant in the room, and that's American exceptionalism. That is, in America, we like to make exceptions for everything. Right? We like to say, well, Aaron, I see that's in Scripture, but what about this? And here's this one exception, therefore there can't be the rule. Right? And, and I get this all the time, right? And we, in our culture, totally gets this. Well, you can't talk about families and the ideal family because they're going to be people in your church that don't have part of ideal families. I get that. We still have to have the rule. The exception doesn't disprove the rule. Some of you have tried really hard, and maybe you got married to somebody who just was not nice to you, and you tried your best, and it just didn't work. That doesn't remove the fact that there's still an ideal that we should shoot for. That doesn't mean that what you did was a failure. What God is not calling us is to have perfect families. That's not at all. He's calling us to faithfulness, and if you can be faithful, then you've done your part. Sometimes it works. Sometimes in these wicked, evil days, it doesn't work. God judges us based upon faithfulness not the results. So here's the exceptionalism. There's going to be brokenness. Our culture is messed up. There are, everything around is causing to make our families fall apart, right? As a parent of a teenager, let me tell you, it is hard to raise a kid in the fear and the knowledge of God when everything in their life is telling them to hate God. And, and those have a lot of influence. And I do my best. But there are some things I just can't 
force. We live in a culture in which you can't force your spouse to be a perfect spouse. You can't do that. And sometimes it'll work, right? Sometimes you're going to love them and they're going to be transformation, they're going to be change, and sometimes it just won't. Sometimes they won't change. Sometimes there's just too much pressure, too much brokenness in the world, and they choose not to turn to God, and it's just going to be broken. God still loves you. You're not a failure. God is not saying, well, because there's exceptions, that there's times that the, that the ideal doesn't work in our lives and we should just throw out the ideal. No, no, no. We have to have something to shoot for. And God says, do your part. Can you love your wife? Can you honor your husband? Can you care for your children and grandparents? Can, can you love your children and grandchildren, right? Grandkids and kids, can you honor and respect your elders? Can you do it? Because God's looking at you and he's saying, what are you doing? How are you adding to the ideal and not the brokenness that is destroying the world? And so in your role, where you are in life may not be the ideal. In fact, if you're like most Americans, it's not. But you can make a small change to say, you know what? I'm going to prioritize family. I'm going to pray for the people. I'm going to try to fulfill my role to the best of my ability. And make that your offering to God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Worship with your family. You know, if enough of us did that, at least in the church, we'd start to have a difference. Maybe we'd start to become happier. Maybe there would be less pressure of brokenness around us. Maybe there would be more generational blessings that we would get to see and enjoy. But it's not going to happen if we all just give up because we live in a place that there's brokenness. There's a reason there's this command. So what about American exceptionalism? I think it needs to be struck down. How about the kingdom exceptionalism? How about having exceptional families for the kingdom of God? Can we do that? Can we work towards that? Because that's something I think is far more valuable to us. So I would say this, we escape escapism. If you want to stop running away from the home, which we got to stop running away from the home. Whoever's told us this lie that it's more important to have a career than to have children was evil. It doesn't work. Someday I'm going to retire from this job, hopefully in two decades, right? And when I do, after a long faithful career, in five years after I'm gone, no one will even know my name. That's it. That's the truth. But you know who will remember my name? My son and his kids, right? My wife. I don't retire from that. Like, like, I have a career so I can have a family. I don't escape my family so I can have a career. Let's honor God. Let's worship him by, by, by worshiping with the family, the first thing that we have. So we honor him first by making a priority, our families, to submit to one another, right? Out of our reverence for Christ, we do this because God has called us to it, because God has made family, because he thinks it's important. So let's fulfill our role in that and worship God with our families. I think you're going to find that not only do we escape escapism, we, find, we don't want to run away from it, we're going to find great purpose in living. We're going to find all of the things that we're so afraid we're going to lose if we lay our lives down for loving these people around us. There's going to be greater contentment, there's going to be greater peace, there's going to be greater healing. And that's something that all of us can work towards. So in that, here's some steps that you can take to do that. The first one is, this is on your connection card, it's memorize Ephesians 5.15. In there, this challenge is like we're supposed to be very careful how we live, not as unwise but as wise, because the days are evil. They understand the unwise people continue to live according to what's already breaking us. There is a better way to live, starting with our families. So maybe you memorize Ephesians five fifteen and remind yourself that God is calling us to a higher standard, to ring a higher bell, to live for a greater purpose, and to be very careful how we treat those in our home 
Are we fulfilling our role? Next thing I want to do is read Colossians 3, 18 through 23 or Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Why? Read it. You'll find out why. Maybe it has to do a little bit with family. And see what God has to say in his word. Next thing you might want to do, can you pray for your family? Do you know what's on our five list? Every single, it's on those cards that are in there, our strategy of the, how we're going to saturate this valley with the, the gospel of Christ and the love of Christ and how he's going to transform us, be generational. Trans- One of those is in there. Every single week we pray for our families. Do you know there's a reason for that? Your family needs prayer. And if you're not praying for them, who is? So maybe this week you start intentionally praying for each member of your family, praying God's blessing over them, praying God's goodness over them. Don't neglect your family. Love them and pray for them. Make that commitment. Maybe something else you do is you choose right now to fulfill your role out of reverence. If you're a husband, love your wife. Your wife, honor your husband. If you're a parent, care for your kids and raise them up. Discipline them with love. If you're a child, obey your parent. If you're a grandparent, pray for your kids and grandkids. This is the generational part. This is the fun part, right? Pray for them. Reach out to them. Be active and engage in your children's and your grandchildren's lives. If you are single, honor marriage. Set it as like family is, is an important thing, right? Respect it. Don't subvert it. Pray for the people around you. Pray for the families around you. And learn to live a life of goodness and purity now as you honor family and how you live. But out of whatever situation you're in, fulfill it out of reverence for Christ. Not because you feel like it, because God is calling you to something better. But maybe today, you don't even know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's your first step. Before, I would say, to, to out of reverence for Christ, maybe he should be your Lord and Savior first. And he can invite you into his family. And you can see how much family matters to him. And when he is your heavenly father, it means you're his heavenly child. And he loves you and will care for you and help raise you up in, in all the good things. But you need to make that step to be saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus to enter into that. I mean, before we make any other decision, that's really the first we have to make. If that's you, then I would say after the message, why don't you come talk with me, Pastor Jesse, any one of our members, but I'd be happy to share with you. What does it mean to follow Jesus? How do you accept him? What does it mean to be saved by grace through faith? How do we do this? And help you take those steps so that you can be engaged in God's family so that you can start living wisely in this world with great purpose and even worshiping with your family. Well, hopefully I've given you all something to do. I hope you're all at least a little encouraged. You know, not too many death stares, so that's good. Let me know how you, you're going to take those next steps because I want to pray for you this week because I know that you need support and I love you so much. If I know how to pray for you, I'll pray for you. And God will help you. And you're going to be able to worship him and your family in a deeper and a more profound way. So let me support you in that. So put that in your connection card as well. In just a minute, drop those in the offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts. Let me pray for you as you make your commitment. Heavenly Father, I pray your blessing over this congregation. Lord, we do live in a... In a <laughs> you said the days are evil. Boy, oh boy, are they ever evil. And this culture has sold us a bill of goods. And a lot of us are living with the wounds of that in our own homes. Oh, Father God, I pray that you would undo the brokenness. Father, for those that are discouraged today, that you would infuse them with hope. Give them purpose and meaning even now. And Father, we've taken exception to your will, and, and now some, there's some bad things. We want to turn to you, and we want to honor you. So I pray in those hard spaces to, to make family a priority. Show us how to do that in a way that honors you, that it fits in our context of our lives. Father, take these commitments we've made and help us to draw closer to you. Bless our homes. Make them more Christ-centered, starting with us. 
Father, take our commitments and our tithes and our offerings. Father, build your kingdom through that, your, your heavenly family, that, that more might come to know you as their true heavenly father. Father, in all of this, we pray that you would be honored and glorified because you are worthy. With great reverence, we praise you in Christ's name.